Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. To Kill a Mockingbird, The Godfather, Apocalypse Now, The Apostle. Those iconic films have one actor in common, the incomparable Robert Duvall. Mr. Duvall is an Academy Award winner, an actor's actor, and can I tell you the truth? He is my secret Hollywood crush. I simply love him and always have. He began his career in the 1950s in the hustling and bustling world of New York theater. And as a young man, he ran around that city with a couple of other aspiring actors, Gene Hackman and Dustin Hoffman. By the 1960s, Mr. Duvall was working regularly in both television and the movies. To date, he has had over 100 roles, making him one of our most prolific actors. If you ask him, though, Robert Duvall will say his favorite roles have always been in Westerns. He feels a kinship with that uniquely American genre. His affection for being out on the range and for horses has deep roots. Goes all the way back to his glorious childhood summers in Montana. Everybody has a story, and there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass with Robert Duvall. When I was a kid, uh, two summers we went, my brothers and I, to northern Montana. My aunt and my uncle, they had a big land and cattle company, and it was there that I think that whatever personal infrastructure I might have for Westerns came from that period. My uncle always said I had a natural seat on a horse, and it was terrific being up there. It was a lot of work. But we used to go up and camp out and look out and see the Rockies and see the Beartooth Mountains. And uh, it was a great experience. And at the end of the first summer, my uncle gave us a check for working, $2 a day, which was a lot for 30 days. I said, what is this for? He said, well, your dad's off fighting the war in the Atlantic. The least I can do is pay you boys something. It was great. There was a cowboy, and I saw him rope a baby coyote from his horse one day, and I saw him right across at full speed and touch an antelope on the neck. It was like at the end of World War II, and if an airplane flew over, my aunt, she was very naive in a way. She'd come out, Harold, Harold, an aeroplane. She'd go nuts yelling. It was, it was a great experience, horseback riding, this and that, which undoubtedly helped me when I did Lonesome Dove, which is still my favorite part, playing a Texas Ranger. That's my Henry V. That's my Hamlet. I was the middle of three boys. I think maybe I was the favorite of my mother. My younger brother was the favorite of my father. My 
older brother kind of fit in. We were family of nicknames. My brothers couldn't say Bobby for Bobby to call me Baji, so my name was nickname is Bodge, although it's Bobby now. And when I was very small, I loved the nursery rhyme, Bernie B, Bernie B, when will your wedding be? If it be tomorrow a day, take your wings and fly away. So my dad used to call me Bernie, but if it was Bodge, then I knew I was in trouble. If it was, hey, Bernie, then I knew it was on good terms. My dad served in World War II and fought the Nazis and so forth, did, did great service that way. He never talked about it, but did great service. He was a military guy. He was quiet. He's the kind of guy that uh, came from one-room country school down in the woods in Virginia, went to high school when he was 11. They allowed him to enter the Naval Academy in Annapolis when he was 16. He's the kind of guy that, uh, good man, a gentleman, more of the, uh, of the Eisenhower era where you, men were gentlemen. So my father was a lot, he was a gentleman, a lot like Eisenhower was, but a military man. He was quiet. He would wake up in the morning and he would be full of pea and ginger, as we say, you know, have breakfast and so forth. By the end of the day, he was more, more moody. But he was a good father. You know, we, uh, pretty good rapport, pretty good rapport. He was a good person. I probably didn't get to know him as well as I should have, my dad. And the great Santini, which I had a privilege of playing, they say when the military guy comes home from duty, he takes over. And then when he goes back on duty, the woman takes over. My father never took over. My mother ran everything. She had been an amateur actress and a uh, good mimic, good sense of humor, kind of ran the show. But, uh, you know, she was uh, supportive. And uh, she was the one, I think, that initially said maybe I should go into acting. When I was a kid, real small, I guess I was a little bit of a romantic, I was a kid that did imitations like people do. That they say, oh, someday you should be an actor because you do this. And that's what happened because my parents, they were the ones that, you know, kind of try acting because I was really floundering. I didn't know. I had no idea what to do in my life. I wanted to be an athlete, but I wasn't that good. It was all in my imagination. So I think if you can't attain what you want to do in your imagination, that leads you in another avenue into acting. And uh, I uh, first got into acting in a wonderful small college in Southern Illinois, Principia College. <laughs> About to flunk out and got my first A. You know, I got into drama and that helped, that helped save me, so to speak. There was a man named Frank Parker who had, was the head of the drama school there. He was a very quiet, hermetic man who had been a dancer with Pavlova. He was a very interesting man. And we did a mime play called The Story of Two Pierrots, in which I played a Harlequin clown. Within the play, we did a mime version of Gone with the Wind, and I was Rhett Butler. <laughs> so it was like, so that, that first production of uh, The Story of Two Pierrots was uh, kind of a launching pad for me, and, I, and it, it certainly really whetted my appetite for future things. I got out of school, then I went, I, I did go in the Army for two years. I was drafted into the Army. And when I got out of the Army, after 22 months, I went to New York City on the GI Bill and studying at the Neighborhood Playhouse with Sanford Meisner. And, you know, I didn't know anybody in New York. I didn't know anybody, but, you know, I, I walked from 57th Street all the way across from 10th Avenue to East 54th Street. I, I walked that walk every day to calm myself down, you know, to... I rented a room for $7 a week from Vladimir Konstantinov, this Ukrainian ballet master. He rented out rooms, you know, so 
<laughs> he was a character, that guy. And it was a pretty much of a fire trap, the whole building. It really was. When I got out of the neighborhood playhouse, I had to find work. I get jobs for a dollar an hour, doing this and that and this and that. Then I remember one night I was loading ladies' garments at, till two in the morning. I remember I'd walk to work. One night I'd walk to work, turn around, and never went back. Then I finally got a job at the post office, which was a great job. I had, I remember I had $900 in my pocket at one. That was pretty good, you know. I said, if I don't quit, I'll be here in 20 years. At least I had that much foresight to say, you know, I'm not going to be doing this in 20 years. So I quit a very good job. You become an actor. That fueled my enthusiasm and my beliefs in myself. Art is intensely competitive. Intensely competitive. They say, well, if you're an artist, you're an actor. Believe me, these people that congratulate each other, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm so fortunate to get this. Yeah, it's a very competitive uh, field. People that just think they have all the answers and criticize everything, they cut themselves off and they don't think they grow. You gotta, you gotta grow. I did a play, uh, Arthur Miller play in Ulu. Grosspart directed it and Gene Hackman was in, in the play. We became friends and he's a wonderful guy. And then he said, this, this guy with a big nose and the black hair is going to be coming back. We, he's going to be sleeping on my kitchen floor, Dustin Hoffman. And then eventually Dustin, my, myself, my brother, and some other actors and singers, we got a railroad apartment, 107th and Broadway. And Gene lived downtown with his wife. He had some kids. So we, but we palled around New York together. It was nice. It was real nice. We used to... Uh, go to Cromwell's Drugstore on the, at, at the 50th and the 6th Avenue there, and uh, we'd meet two, three, four times a week. And we'd talk about acting, and Dustin said, we got to talk about something besides women and acting today. <laughs> you know, we did. You know, you kind of keep certain friendships. You have certain rapport with certain people that you don't have with other people. So you build on that and, and let it lay there till you see each other again. Ulu Grossbart, I would always call Ulu and ask him his opinion, his advice, because he's a very smart guy, you know, and, uh, and he was a dear friend. He and the great Horton Foote, too, the playwright, helped me in my career. Maybe I could have done okay without them, but they were two people that gave me parts and gave me different, different approach, I mean, different perceptions. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. We did a play called The Midnight Caller. We did it as a kind of a final thing at the Neighborhood Playhouse. And they invited Horton Footy's wife, Lillian, Kim Stanley, who was at the height of her game then, and Robert Mulligan, who directed To Kill a Mockingbird. And they came to see the play, and they, I guess they liked what they saw. And I met them afterwards. It was a thrill. And then uh, when they were going to cast the part of Boo Radley and you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. Because of Lillian and Horton, I got, I got that part. That was my first part. And uh, 
in a movie. That part, it was uh, kind of interesting, I thought. They had one line, they cut it. <laughs> I had a theory that when they open that door and then when I look at the kid in the bed, I knew that I, when I had goose pimples, I was on the right track. At that moment, it was goose pimple acting. <laughs> you know, because when those things happen, you're, you're alive, so to speak, you know. So Horton Foote helped me in my career, and you got to give gratitude. You got to give gratitude because if you don't give gratitude or give credit or have heroes to a point, to a point, you don't grow. Marlon Brando, he was our hero coming up. If he's not the greatest actor that ever lived, he might be, but he's certainly the most, maybe the most unique. When you saw Brando, I said, who is this guy? <laughs> what is this guy doing? He had his own sense of reality. It was so wonderful. I met a, an English actor, a very successful English actor that came and saw Streetcar Named Desire on stage seven times. She said when he first came, he got very embarrassed because he thought a stagehand had wandered on to the stage accidentally. And it was Brando, he was so natural. Natural, but alive. With impulses, you know, it's, it's not just natural as a style, but to me, it begins with talking and listening, listening and talking, like we're doing now. It seems casual and low key, but it's alive. And sometimes it's not that easy. I always look for that when I see actors. Are they really in touch with themselves? So I think that's what he kind of imparted to people. And people maybe try to imitate that, but, you know, he had his own thing, you know. But uh, I think Brando, he was spoiled, I think. I think he was spoiled. He was so lauded that I think he was spoiled, and he probably got sick of that adoration, maybe. When we did The Godfather, and we all had a, a meal together, as a rehearsal process, so to speak, and to get to know each other. And Brando loved Jimmy Kahn, because Jimmy's a funny guy. Because Jimmy will tell a joke and take Brando three seconds to get it, and then he'll go, ha, 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 you know, like that. You know? <laughs> but we're always joking around. That's good to uh, keep things on the set relaxed when you, when you have humor. Brando would read his lines, he does it very well, but we'd Take it away when he was looking to put a wedding invitation. And he, they'd have to yell, cut. And Francis would say, come on, guys, you know. But he knew, he knew that by fooling around, it was a good, good to keep uh, relaxation on the set, you know. Like one time, uh, Brando said, could I have a moment? And he prepared himself emotionally, had a wonderful moment after Sonny's death. So a week later, shooting out of context, of course, Jimmy Conn said, could Bobby have a moment? And Jimmy with his shoulders, you know, like this, could Bobby have a moment? So I go like this. Actually, I just walk across doing nothing. Brando gives me a dirty look. <laughs> but those were, you know, those were good, good times, you know, good time to keep things loose, you know. I need a bomb-proof horse now. You know what that is, right? If a bomb goes off, the horse is not going to hurt you. When I did Apocalypse Now, it was written strangely. My character was called Colonel Carnage. <laughs> but they, that was a little too much. They had to temper it. Well, I did my homework with guys that had been in Vietnam that were there that helped me make it more uh, realistic. And well, it was all make-believe, except that stuff in back of us. It almost went off in an untimely way, but they got it just right.
the air cavalry was like that, related to the last century, really. Tanks, horses, tanks, and now helicopters. They wore spurs, hats with cross sabers, you know. I just trying to get it not right or just accurately, you know. You try to get it as truthful as possible, as real as possible, and uh, it was it was terrific. A lot of work. It was it was a great experience. I think now, and people disagree with me, but now the young actors are better than ever, better than ever. How much better can you be than Matthew McConaughey was in in, in the Dallas Buyers Club? My Lord. I think you can be a good actor coming from a sense of truth or a sense of lying. I think you can get good performances from both approaches. The directors, I think the good ones now are better. When I was younger, it happened in a movie once. I saw one of the old-time directors say to an actor, when I say action, tense up, goddammit. I mean, <laughs> you don't say that to Joe Montana in the Super Bowl, do you? There's a difference between intensity and tenseness, you know, but a lot of directors would say, action, and then have their fingers crossed, hoping they're going to come up with something. Instead of saying, don't worry about coming up with something. Let's just see what happens, you know. Coppola was like that. Even though he was on a high level, it was always wanted to see what you would bring and what you would do without being hammered by a director trying to be relaxed in front of the camera, which was it was difficult, especially if you had directors, the action cut, you know. There's a certain sense of, of film reality that if you if you go big, then the tendency to say, and not always accurately, is that they're overdoing it. But if you do that within the confines of your temperament, then you can go broad. Hey, hey! As opposed to, hey, hey. You know what I'm saying? It's still you doing it. And, and, and sometimes when people really are within the, the confines of their temperament in a broad way, people are saying they're overacting, and they're not. They're not. Because a broad moment can be just as valid as a quiet moment, you know. And also, I have my own theory where I think you're within a scene where you trick yourself to get a result that's legitimate. Let the process take you to the result rather than just going to the result. Be willing to start from zero and say, well, let's see what happens, rather than like this. A lot of the old school, give me something, give me something. Start from zero and see where it takes you. In 1997, Robert Duvall took his career and craft to a whole new level when he created one of my all-time favorite movies, The Apostle. Mr. Duvall wrote it, he produced it, he directed it, he starred in it, and even financed the film. His performance as a zealous Pentecostal preacher earned him another well-deserved Oscar nomination. The movie just crackles with realness and truth. And to make the story as authentic as possible, he hired a large number of non-professional actors. He even called on his good friend, the late June Carter Cash, to play the role of his mother. For Robert Duvall, being authentic is a driving force, one that inspires him to bring his stories to life. I believe in a higher power, definitely. My family was religious, and uh, I, I tend to still be religious in my own way. I believe that there's something after, I think. I don't know if it's, if it's that literal places. I'm not so sure that I believe in that. 
because all these preachers now, I've seen so many of them in all denominations saying, if you don't do this, you don't get to heaven. Wait a minute. I thought, I thought the judgment day was on the other side of the grave. So what are the men with, with two legs like us trying to tell us you're not going to get to heaven if you do this? And I, I don't buy that at all, at all. Because I think if there is a judgment day, it's on the other side of the grave, not on this side. I was doing a play off Broadway. I played a guy from Hughes, Arkansas. So I got off the plane one day coming back from L.A. to New York to see what it was like in Hughes, Arkansas. So I wandered down the street and there was a little church, Pentecostal church. And I heard something and I went in and there was a woman preacher. Whoever heard of a woman preacher in my country, United States of America, I've never seen this. I thought I want to put this on film someday in a fictional form. So it took me years and years and years and years to get it off the ground. And finally, finally we did, you know. When I did The, uh, the Apostle, I used real, real people, real preachers. I was trying to convey something accurately that if I would have done it in Hollywood as a hired hand, I would have made a lot of money and probably they wouldn't have gotten it right because they tend to uh, patronize such, such subjects like that. You can't patronize these people. I just wanted to tell a story and try to get it accurate and use the real people, experiencing real, real moments of, of religious fervor. Get it accurately, what, what those people are about within fictional form. They say, if you, if you don't shout, you can't get into heaven. That's, a lot of these people are like that. And uh, I try to let the people be my guide. And that's why I put them in there. Two little boys that were twins. They, they were a guide. Those were all guides, a truth guide, you know, when you use the real people. I think in Hollywood, they, they tend not to want to do that. But why not? Why not, you know? With June Carter, you know, she said, what if I stand this way? I said, no, no, stand this way. What if I talk? No, don't talk like that. You already have a voice that's older. She was always trying to go for some kind of uh, characterization. I just wanted it to be herself. So I said to her at one time when we were filming, I said, now, this guy has never been on film before. We're shooting over you onto him. You can help him off camera. I really was on her close-up, didn't tell her because I didn't want her to start acting, you know, because as herself, she's just, it's wonderful. Getting away went from as far away from possible from that thing of when I say action tense up, God damn it, you know, <laughs> to get away from that concept. When the movie came out, I uh, got a letter from Marlon Brando, loved the movie, liked it very much, and I heard that Billy Graham liked it. So I got it from the secular, and I got it from the religious, so I felt very good. Between those two uh, worlds, I felt safe that uh, I'd done something maybe accurate. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. I remember I was in New York and uh, I see this kid on the street, this gypsy kid was about eight years old with a little diamond ring, a suit, trying to make advances to this 25-year-old girl as mature as he could. I said, hey, 
I got to do something with this kid. I got to put him in a movie. And of course, when I, you know, typical Hollywood is, I try to get money. They say, well, okay, we'll maybe give you some money, but who's going to play Angelo? I said, what do you mean, who's going to play Angelo? Angelo's going to play Angelo. It took me a while. I traveled around with him. I slept on the floor with him. I met gypsies all over the America and until uh, finally we just started doing it, you know, and we did it over a 10-month period, something like that. It was interesting working with them. Sometimes when you get people to do what they can do, the purity that they, they can bring is you, you, you can't, you can't uh, deny it. There's no right or wrong, somebody said. There's only truth or no truth. So when you see that truth, truthful behavior, then you say, that's it, I want that, and then you incorporate it. In 1983, Robert Duvall starred in Tender Mercies. He brought us a nuanced and subtle performance that was, as the title suggests, filled with ache and tenderness. That role won him the Academy Award for Best Actor. He says competing for awards and roles is a byproduct of show business, but it's the last thing really on his mind. You can't please everybody. Art is intensely competitive, intensely competitive. They say, well, if you're an artist, you're an actor. Believe me, these people that congratulate each other Oh, well, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm so fortunate to get this. Yeah, it's a very competitive uh, field. I, I, mean, I mean, when we did Godfather 1, there was another director that came over and said, you boys were wonderful in the movie. I don't know about this movie. So there's always somebody who doesn't like something. You know what I'm saying? You can't please everybody. You, you got to please yourself, really. You got you to your own sense of truth, really. Tender Mercies. It was an original screenplay. Horton Foote said he never wrote screenplays for people, but kind of, kind of. I think he had me in mind when he wrote it, possibly. When I won it, I was up against all the, all the other nominees were Brits. And Dolly Parton said, and the winner, I knew I'd won because she's a country singer. And I knew in her voice that I had won it. So I felt, felt nice winning it. And I invited Johnny Cash and June Carter to be our guests there that evening. So it was nice, nice to win. I had it in my contract that I, I always do my own singing if I have to sing, my own horsemanship, my own dancing, movement. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a nice thing to be able to do. I mean, uh, I always liked country western music and uh, something I always enjoyed. And when I was in the Army, I listened to it a lot. I got to know... Waylon Jennings, I got to know him pretty well. And then Johnny Cash, I'd go to Johnny's house. Every night, Johnny would take a, a big glass of buttermilk and put warm cornbread in there and eat it with a spoon. <laughs> but uh, that whole Nashville set, good people. I got to know him pretty well. They died young, too young. The beginning and the end of the tango is the walk. The embrace and the walk. People think they put on a hat and can do, you know, takes 10 years to walk correctly. And the best, the best that I've seen is like 2 o'clock in the morning in clubs when they get everybody and they get up and they give demonstrations. Those nights at 2 in the morning were the most magical for me to see what they do. I looked at it and I said, maybe I could do that, but I, that was very naive. I always had to call me shweka, which means bow-legged. I always had to overcome my bow-legged, you know. 
But, you know, I always wanted to do a movie, and I did a movie on it, and it, to me it worked out well. My wife was terrific in it. And she uh, stole the show and never let me forget it, but that's okay. My wife, uh, Luciana, is from northern Argentina. We met on the street in, in Argentina. I was down there playing Eichmann. Adolf Eichmann was an interesting part to do. And when it finished, we finished, I met her. The real Eichmann was, was killed in Israel for his sins. And this Eichmann got Luciana. <laughs> So I got the better of the two. Of the two, uh, I got the better deal. She's great. She's great. She's uh, pretty unique. Uh, my wife's younger than I am. And she said, oh, what will it be like when we grow old together? I said, I already am old. We enjoy each other's company. Love is an important thing, you know, all kinds of love. Try to keep love as a, in a status quo, you know, and keep it fresh and uh, alive and legitimate, sincere. It's hard to put your finger on how concrete or how abstract it can be. It can be both, I guess. Yeah. Coppola. He came to my farm in Virginia, parked his car, came in to see what I do to The Godfather Three. I said, sit down here, I'm cooking something. <laughs> he always liked my mother's crab cake recipes. So I cooked them for him. Right to, I wrote the recipe down, because he always wanted that recipe. He left, he forgot the recipe. He called. He was more concerned about the fact that he forgot the recipe than what I do Godfather 3. <laughs> Hobbies are good to have. You try to be as good at the hobby as you are at your profession, which is never going to happen, you know. I'm never going to be as good with horses as I am, you know, as an actor. My, my, my theory is try to, between the cradle and the grave, you have a journey, you know, try to, Take that journey without hurting too many people and uh, doing it gracefully as possible. But there are times when it's not so graceful. Try to be truthful in life. Try to be truthful in your work. I've done some crap in my day. I've done some pretty crappy stuff. You have to, you know, you have to make a living. So there's always a, and then in everybody's life. So there's a few and thens left for me, I think. You know, I just like to, you know, whatever is next, maybe. Whatever is next. Until the day that I wrapped it up. Till they wiped the drool, right? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. I got a, I got a few left. <laughs> I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Masterclass, the podcast. You can follow Masterclass on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Masterclass podcast. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.